And end of verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, down through verse 10. When I'm done reading, please remain standing for prayer. The Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be, that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, again, thank you for the privilege of being able to pray. Thank you, Father, that this invitation to boldly enter into your throne room uh, is available to your children 24-7. Thank you that you are not weary, neither do you sleep. Thank you that you contend if we all Uh, All believers at at one point in time came before your throne. Uh, You would be able to handle it all and specifically tend to our needs. That boggles our mind. But that's how awesome you are as the omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent God. And Father, I pray that you'd bless this little corner of Pennsylvania and our worship here today. Pray that you'd help us as we worship you and help us to magnify you and help us to rightly preach your word and feed the flock. And Father, we pray that that the church would be edified, that souls would be saved, and that you would be glorified. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's open our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. During our morning service, services, sporadically, we have been dealing with God's justice system. Uh, now we also had Father's Day in there and our church anniversary, 30-year celebration. We took two weeks to deal with uh, a theme there. Uh, but back in uh, May, May 29th, we, we began talking. In fact, that was Memorial Day. And so we also did talked about that. But we began talking about God's justice system. And we noted that day specifically that uh, God deals with nations differently than he deals with individuals. 
He will judge nations in the here and now, uh, whereas He will judge individuals individually. And it's important that you and I realize that. So we've, the first message dealt with, again, God judging nations. Second message was focusing on God the judge. Third message was how all men will be judged. And then the fourth message was the great white throne judgment. That was last time. Now we're still dealing with God's judgment. But it's very important that you and I understand. Because we, we are basically closing out God's criminal justice system. In fact, crime, when you study the origins of that word, uh, have its root in breaking God's law, sinning. And, you know, all sin is a crime against God. And when we dealt with the great way throne judgment, that's when individuals are going to face God individually and be made to pay for their sins against God. It is a Horrible, horrible day. It has not happened yet. Hebrews 9.27 It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. There will be, in fact, every single person, if you look at Revelation chapter 20, everyone that stands before God on that judgment is going to be cast into the lake of fire. It is not some go to heaven, some go to hell, then everyone at that judgment is going to be doomed and cast into the lake of fire again. But, now we're still going to talk today about judgment, but it's a whole different ball game. Excuse the, uh, the, the analogy of sports, but actually don't excuse the analogy of sports because God uses that picture. Today we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Say we're so we're talking about the great white throne judgment, right? Because Jesus is a judge. No, we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And I want you to understand something very important. When you talk about paying for the penalty of our sin, the crimes against God, that's why people are going to go to hell. But because of Calvary... Jesus paid the penalty, the punishment that we deserve. You see, the Bible in the Greek, when it, it speaks about judgment, in the Scriptures, there's two different kinds of judgment. Just in the word judge, judgment, you have one which is the word judgment in a criminal justice setting. That's where uh, the best illustration we can have in the clearest picture is the courtroom, criminal justice system. You're going to face the music. You're going to, you know, pay for your crimes. But because Jesus Christ came and bore our sins in His body, you and I don't have to face that ultimate justice. Here's the blessing. When we talk about authority, and we did that early on in the beginning of this, we noted from Romans and we also noted from Peter that there's two aspects to people being good authorities in carrying out justice. And if you remember in Romans, that one passage we looked at and then in First Peter, 
The Bible talks about authorities and it gives, it gives the parameters of what jurisdiction they have. They are to punish evildoers and reward the good. That's their job. In fact, by the way, if you study the scriptures, you'll never find in scriptures that God delegates to government the responsibility of taking care of the people. They're to, in fact, they're to get their hands off and just let us be to work and the more diligent are going to succeed more. Their job is to just protect us so that we can lead quiet and peaceable lives. Two aspects to do that. Punish the bad people, reward the good people. Now, we've been talking about God's criminal justice system and we've been mainly talking about punishing the bad. And that happened. It's going to happen on Judgment Day at Great White Throne. It happened on Calvary. So that now we can move into that second category of judgment, which is totally different. We are no longer talking about the criminal justice system. The word judgment, the word specifically for the judgment seat of Christ, is the Greek word bema. In fact, if you've ever heard some some people call it the bema seat judgment, bema literally means judgment seat. So if people say Bema, seat, judgment, they're kind of saying judgment, seat, seat. You know, it's, it's just the judgment seat of Christ. And it's a different judging. And it goes back to the ancient Greek times where they had sporting events and they had the Olympics and they had the competition. And at the end of the competition, the sporting competition, you would have a panel of judges that their job was not to punish like in a criminal justice system. Their job was simply to reward the succeeders, those who who strive, those who won. And by the way, folks, that's what we're going to talk about today. I want you to understand, we are now closing the books on God's criminal justice system. That's been dealt with. If you have come to Calvary, You have had, uh, justice has been meted out. If you've come to Calvary and responded to the finished work of Jesus Christ, His shed blood cleansed you of your sin, and you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, your penalty has been paid. And justice has taken place. Because He paid for our sins. And that now... Now we come to our judgment. But you have to realize, and I'm probably going to mention it 20 different ways from Sunday, today on Sunday, that you have to understand that when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, it is totally, completely different than the great white throne judgment because our relationship with God is totally different than it was before our sin debt was paid. So, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In fact, let me remind you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ, and then I'm going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and you're saying there's no condemnation? Right. That's why you've got to get your mind now 
off of the kind of judgment that we talk about with a criminal justice system. You know, punishing bad. Because we're now moving on. Are you born again? Have you responded to the gospel and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because if you have, there is no condemnation in your life. You no, you do not have to pay for your sins. The judgment seat of Christ is not a penalty phase at all. It is totally a rewards tribunal. That's the idea of Bema. Please understand that. See, you and I, folks, we are now free to serve Christ. Free to serve Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 10. The Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat, those two English words, the Greek word bema, the root word, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So now, what, what is the judgment seat of Christ about? Just like a sports judgment tribunal, just as you have the umpires, the referees, the judges for the Olympics, it is simply to give out rewards. Not to pay for our sin. So, folks, if you have been born again, please, please, please understand, your sin was paid for completely. And now you and I are free to serve Christ. Is it, and, and so it's all about rewards. But I want to ask you something. Is it wrong to be motivated by reward? You say, you know, we should want to serve Christ for nothing, no matter what. We should just want to serve Christ because we love Him and we're not motivated by reward. And I want to uh, quote to you. There's a, a great work out there. It's a little booklet by a pastor. I forget his name. Wrote a book on finances. And it's so short, but it is so powerful. It's called The Treasure Principle. And he answers this question. Is it wrong to be motivated by reward? He says, no. If it were wrong, Christ wouldn't offer it to us as motivation. Reward is his idea. Now, let me, I'm going to give you some scripture to show you that the idea of wanting to be rewarded is at the very core of our being. Remember Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen, he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. You say, see that? God doesn't want us laying up treasure. He doesn't want us, you know, laying up things. Wait a minute, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Because they're temporary. They're fleeting. You know, uh, they're going to be, robbers can come in and steal. It's going to decay. Moths can come in and corrupt. But he's not telling us not to lay up or treasure up things. In fact, he says, rather... Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. Where your treasure is there will your heart be also. God is not, does not condemn you and I looking for reward. It is built into the fabric of our being. When you work, when you, when you are diligent in life, 
When you work at a job, don't you expect a paycheck? Is that sinful? Does God say, you Christian, you that are gainfully employed, it is evil to be gainfully employed. You should all be volunteers for your jobs. Just say, boss, I no longer want a paycheck. I just love working here. I love what you do. I stand for the company. And I just want to serve volunteer. Is that God's philosophy? No, because the Bible says if any doesn't work, neither should he eat. In other words, that whole idea of working hard because there's a reward, he doesn't condemn that, he establishes it. Or how about this one? Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, what is a man profited? Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. No, we're not motivated by a desire for reward, so please... Close this conversation down. What do you mean, what is a man profited? We don't talk about profit here. We're just all about doing and giving. No, he said, what is a man profited? If he gain the whole world and lose his own soul, God is not against the idea of reward. It's a matter of, are we pursuing the reward that is eternal or the one that gratifies temporarily? Remember what Jim Elliott, the great missionary that gave his life, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God is not against the idea of reward. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. That's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6. Don't lay out for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. So the idea of us being motivated by reward is not condemned. You and I are living for eternity. We are laying up treasures in heaven. And on the, at the judgment seat of Christ, that's where you and I, that's going to be payday, as it were. That's where we are going to get rewarded for what we have done in serving Christ. So I want to answer three things this morning about the judgment seat of Christ. First of all, the who. Who's going to be there? Then we're going to look at the what. What is it? And then the how. you know. And if you are not born again, if you've not, theoretically, if you've not come to the cross of Calvary and seen yourself as a lost sinner, undeserving of God's mercy, condemned to die, and you heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, you came to understand that He paid the penalty that you justly deserve you repented of your sins you cried out for mercy if you've not done that then you need to stop what you're doing because you are headed towards a different judgment you're still you're going to have to answer for your crimes against God your sin and until you come to Calvary and receive the gift of eternal life You realize why Jesus had to die on Calvary. You respond by believing and taking Him as your Savior. That's what you need to do. In fact, that's the only thing you need to do. That needs to be priority number one. Put everything else aside. And I cannot begin to plead with you how important this is. If you have not trusted Christ, if you've not been born again... Everything I say from this point on is fluff and worthless. 
Because it will not apply to you. And I want it to apply to you. And you've got to... See, until your criminal case is dealt with before the judgment bar of God, then you are not going to be free to serve Him and love Him and praise Him. So, take care of that if you need to. So, who's going to be at the judgment seat of Christ then? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. He says, why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's to every Christian. You know, it's so easy for us. That's why Jesus in Matthew 7 talked about the moat and the beam. Why do you behold the, the moat, the splinter that's in your neighbor's eye, and you don't, you don't consider the beam, the joist that's in your own eye? It is human nature for us to magnify everybody else's failures and to minimize our own. It is natural. And so Paul says in Romans 14.10, Why do you judge your brother? Why do you set him at naught? Why do you reject him? For we are all going to say him before the judgment seat of Christ. A good, healthy anticipation of accountability will go a long way and take our eyes off of magnifying others' offenses and magnifying our own. So on judgment day, who's going to be there? We. In other words, the church. The New Testament church. Everyone that's been saved from the day of Pentecost until the Lord returns to call us home. The church age. That's who's going to be judged on that day and rewarded. And by the way, here's the concept. Because this is not a criminal court system, because we're not paying for our sins, because this is not a punishment, it simply rewards, then the the whole issue then is, who's going to get rewards just just like any sporting event? Who, who wins a prize? Who doesn't? So the only loss at the Bema of Christ is going to be what you could have earned and what you could have won, what you could have been rewarded with. Not punishment. Please understand that. My wife and I, before we started this church, I was in the middle of ministries. I'd pastored in Lancaster for three years. And um, I mentioned that. I've talked about that. But we had a transition of about a year we were where we worked at a, a manufacturing company in New Holland. We lived up in New Holland, and we were in the process of moving back down to Westchester and seeing what the Lord had. So we worked at this manufacturing company for a year, both my wife and I, clothing manufacturer. And um, it was it was a time of refreshing because we had had such a bad experience with. God's people with born-again believers, that um, working with unsaved people was like refreshing. Isn't that sad? That's so sad. But I remember this place, there were three bosses. And um, two of the bosses were brothers, and one was the namesake. In other words, the name, I won't, I won't give the, the name of the company was named after the, the one that wasn't a brother. He was the older guy. Now, I am only going to give you my perspective of these three bosses. 
Two of them, the brothers, were like, they were the ones that had the power. They were the ones that made the decisions. And the guy that the company was named after, at least he just looked like a figurehead. And all we knew as employees is that he just had one job. He didn't seem to be involved in like, and, and he probably was. And, I, you know, that's why I'm being very, but I know it was the two brothers that were like, you know, they were the ones that called the decisions. They were the ones that made all the, who are we going to deal with and what clothing goes where. And you basically had to answer to them, as far as I understood, if you were in trouble. And this other guy was just this grandfatherly figure. And as far as we knew, he only had one job. And that was to hand out the checks on payday. That was it. Every I'll tell you, his name was Skip. Not our Skip. Skip. Everybody loved Skip. You know, because all he represented was payday. You know? And the only time we saw him, if you forgot, I think it might have been Thursday, if you forgot that today was Thursday and payday, and you saw Skip walking into the room, it was almost like the the angels went off and there was bright light. You know, it was just payday, yes. And so we began to associate Skip with payday and reward. How can you not love Skip? And the other brothers, they were like, you know, they made, in my mind, that, you know, they were the law, you know, but Skip was the rewards. I want you to understand something. That's, when you and I serve Christ, that's how we should see him, is that he is here to reward us. And, and not even when you, because the whole purpose, in fact, look at, look at 2 Corinthians 5.10, I'll address this now. Because the word bad is used at the end, which might make you think that there's some punishment here. But I'm reminding you, this is a different kind of judgment. If you're a Christian, no no longer going to face the punishment of your sin. Look at verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The word bad has the idea not of sinful, because we're not going to pay for our sin. Jesus paid for our sins. Everyone at the judgment seat of Christ, their sin has been blotted out. They are going to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And just like any tribunal, any Bema judgment, this is just to determine rewards. And, And therefore, the integrity of what you're judging is Who gets rewarded? Who doesn't? That's the bad. The idea of the word bad is worthless. See, everything we do since the day we got saved, we are building up a foundation. In fact, Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, it shall be revealed by fire. In other words, from the day you got saved to the day God calls you home, you are either building uh, on a foundation, you're adding to it gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And at the end, the, the fire of God, the judgment is going to go through, not in the penalty, you're being punished, but just simply to, to see what kind of work we have left. What was honorable, what is left. All the bad stuff, all the worthless stuff, is just going to be burned. In fact, that's why Paul says, uh, challenges us, Every man's work shall be made manifest, because the day shall declare it. It shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Then it says later, 
to the person that hasn't done anything for God. His work shall be burned, the Bible says, yet he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. In other words, again, this is not a judgment for punishment. But if you got, since the day you got saved, you're not doing anything for the Lord, and all your stuff is wood, hand, stubble, you're not going to go to hell. You're not going to be punished because Jesus took care of that. But you will have nothing to show for it. That'll be sad. That's the bad. That's the worthless. That's why there's a saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So, first you have the who, then you have the what. As the Bema judgment, it is very clear again that, and I want you to get, you have to have this right mentality. Too many Christians, they get saved, their sin is dealt with, it's nailed to the cross. Um, God says their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. If you are saved, your sin has been paid for. You've got to stop having a condemnation mentality. You have been accepted in the beloved. Folks, there's so much freedom there. And as we talked about in our Bible study, we're not talking about now you can do whatever you want to do. You can, but what you want to do when you get saved is you want to live to please Christ, the one that called us to serve Him. And that's the whole purpose of this judgment is for rewards Because, in fact, Paul says this to Timothy. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that worth, rather, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath called him to be a soldier. That's what the Bema judgment is all about. It's, It's simply hearing, in one way or another, his praise, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's like the... The Christian's ultimate pat on the back. And and sometimes we live for human favor and human applause. And we want that pat on the back from humans. But you know what? The only one that really matters, folks, is that Jesus Christ says, well done. Really think about it. Isn't that what you're looking for? It's not fun to displease people. When people, you ever heard someone say this? I'm really disappointed in you. Wow, that can be a dagger, can it? I am really disappointed in you. Now, not to be disrespectful, but I'm only looking for Christ's non-disappointment. You know, that's all I'm looking for. I want to please Him. And as my pastor said, and I love this saying, and I got to drill it into my head every day, if you and I please Christ, then we will end up pleasing the people that are worth pleasing. I love that. Because in other words, that's what we have to focus on. Not trying to please people. In fact, Paul even said that in Corinthians. He said, with me it is no small thing to be judged of you or of man's judgment. He's saying, I couldn't care less what you think. Respectfully. He's like, I just want to please my master. That's where you and I have to be. That's what the Bema judgment's all about. That's the pat on the back where we know he's been pleased. Again, we're not being condemned. There is no condemnation. Keep that in mind. I close with this. There is a great, great, famous work 
It's been referred to now historically as the Divine Comedy. Written by a man named Dante back in the 1300s. From 1308 to 1321, he worked and wrote uh, the, um, what's it called? Dante's Inferno. You ever hear that? It's a great Italian work. And it is, some of it is based on scripture. Some of it is based on mythology. Some of it is based on the traditions of men. Um, but where it's based on scripture, it's interesting. Uh, he has some accurate things in there. He's got a lot of things that are not accurate. In Dante's Inferno, he seems to indicate that there, uh, it, or he does indicate that there are degrees of punishment and degrees, and we get that both in scripture, that there are degrees of punishment, uh, being those who are beaten with few stripes versus many stripes, there seems to be that idea. And for rewards, you know, those who are faithful in serving the Lord will be uh, given responsibility over a certain amount of cities. Those who have been more faithful to Him will have more cap- you know, ability to serve. So there is that idea. But there were some real fallacies in that that are not based on Scripture. Let me present to you some, just a few quick things as we, as we wrap up here. In his work, he has hell as, as, in other words, there is another chance for salvation after death in Dante's Divine Comedy. I want you to realize, folks, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. And yet so many people believe it. So many people say, well, you know, if I'm wrong, hopefully the Lord's going to get, I've heard this several times, hopefully the Lord's going to give me a second chance on Judgment Day when I stand before Him and I realize I was wrong. Please understand, the Bible is very clear. God has communicated and articulated His Word to us. He's given His revelation. You either reject it or receive it, but when you stand before God, it will be too late at that point. His work indicates that there are levels in hell. Nine concentric circles where our sinners are punished in a fashion befitting of their crime. Now, the Bible does suggest degrees of punishment, but there is nothing in the Bible about nine concentric circles where there's levels in hell. Uh, The only picture in the Bible, it says, um, hell is spoken of as outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. His work indicates that there will be various punishments uh, here's his his fictional picture of judgments in hell. Uh, some people, w- some souls, will be tormented by biting insects. Uh, others will be wailing in mire. Some will be immersed in boiling blood. Some will be lashed with whips. Then there's lesser punishments involving. How's this one? Can you imagine this one? Having your head on backwards. For all eternity. Can you imagine that? That would be awkward. And that would look weird. But folks. That's not a punishment for our sin. Uh, Unreachable goals for all eternity. I think that's life isn't it? You know. (laughs) Um, Walking endlessly in circles. I do that anyway. You know. (laughs) But understand. You know, that, that is fiction, but hell is a very real place. But I submit to you folks that that is not in the picture at all.
for you and I who are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Just like the great white throne judgment, every one of those people is cast into the lake of fire. So, at the judgment seat of Christ, all of them, all of us, are going to heaven. Now, here's what I want to close with. I'm talking to Christians now. It's not about being condemned. It's not about, oh, you've done bad. Yes, we've done bad. But one the greatest motivation for us to just love Christ and serve Him is that we are living for His pleasure because He's what it's all about. And on that day, in fact, the parable where He gives, and we don't know this, but it's been quoted many times, that the example of reward is that you will hear your master say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. The Bible makes it very clear. In fact, we're going to close. Turn to the last book in 2 Timothy, the last chapter in 2 Timothy. We'll close with this. The Bible makes it clear that the rewards that are going to be given out are crowns. And again, if the desire to be rewarded is evil, then Paul is just dead wrong in what he says here. Look at 2 Timothy. This is his last book, last chapter. He's writing to Timothy. And he says in verse 6, he knows his death is pending. And he says, I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. He's not trying to catch a train, folks. He knows he's going to be killed. He's awaiting prison. He's awaiting judgment. He says this, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Notice this sporting uh, picture. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And then I love the next verse. I think it's connected. He tells Timothy, do thy diligence to come to me. In other words, he's continuing ministry. And he's encouraging Timothy, hey, in the meantime, let's fight the good fight. You know, do thy diligence to come to me. And then he goes on and talks about the people that let him down, the people that were an encouragement. And he goes on speaking of ministry stuff. But here's the key, folks. You and I, every day we live, we have an opportunity to glorify God, to lay up treasure in heaven to live for His purposes so that someday we will never hear His condemnation. Don't ever fear that. You will never hear Him say, if you're born again, depart from me, I never knew you. That's the worst thing to hear. If you're a child of God, folks, you are robed in the righteousness of Christ. Then it's just a matter of His praise. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. I don't want to hear it from men. Yeah, I do. Sometimes I do. You know, and I hate that. I hate that. I hate it that I, that I want. You know, when you folks say nice things about whatever ministry I've done and you don't condemn me, that's a blessing. But I don't want to be living for that. Now, I'm not telling you everybody start ganging up on pastor and only condemn him. Any gripes you've had over the next three weeks... Just criticize them, you know, keep me humble. You might do that, who knows. But you know what? The bottom line is what really matters 
is I want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Is that what you want? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to live for your pleasure. Help us to live because you are worthy. You are so awesome. You deserve our consuming efforts to love you and to walk in fellowship with you. And Father, I pray that it would be our desire to please you. Uh, And Lord, I ask you to help us. Help us that are saved to live in light of the fact that we are challenged to lay up treasures in heaven. And for those that are not saved, Father, I pray that they would stop right now and take care of spiritual business with you and get saved and be born again. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen.